Hello everyone, this is Saqib. Uh, it's time to do another episode of Tennis with an Accent. And today adding the accents are Brianna Foos and uh, Lucy Sophia, uh, known on Twitter. Her uh, name is Lucy Johnson. Welcome, guys. Hi, thanks for having me, Saqib. Hi, yeah, it's brilliant to be here. Hi. Yeah, so, yeah, it's an opportunity for, I think, uh, there are a lot of people who follow you. Uh, I know for sure on Twitter more than... The, you know, my followers, so I'm sure people would want to hear from you and your tennis opinions. Uh, so just to set the record straight, I know you guys have decent amount of fan following. I did some research. So a common question for both of you, Brie, you can take this first. So as a tennis fan on Twitter, what is a balancing act for you? Uh, how vocal are you about your disagreements or what is the line you draw where, you know, because there's a lot of times as fans, we cross a line and we can be flagged or blocked by other fan bases. So what is your balancing act? I know you're an Adal and Sloan fan, but take it away. Wow, that's a good question. Um, I'm kind of on the more controversial end, I guess you could say. Um, I'm kind of known as a little bit of a troll, a good-spirited troll, though. Um, I have been blocked by Nole fam before, so if any Nole fam is out there, please unblock me. It's just good fun. <laughs> But um, the line that I keep is basically um, if it goes too petty or if it's just being outright cruel to a fandom, you know, because you have to keep yourself in check. Like, I hate when Rafa loses to Djokovic, but I can't expel that energy onto my timeline because it's it's just not good for anybody. So is it uh, more worrisome when Rafa loses Novak than Andy and or Roger or it's the same altogether? Um, I would say that Federer and Novak are the worst two that I hate to have Rafa lose to. Um, it's just because, you know, the big three, their rivalries are pretty deep and serious. And I just love seeing Rafa win everything. And Novak especially has really stopped Rafa from some great achievements like the Rafa Slam um, at the 2012 Australian Open and, uh, uh, excuse me, 2011 uh, Australian Open, so uh, things just get a little rough there, but it's all in fair fun. Uh, Lucy, you want to add your piece because you are a big Andy Murray fan. So you know, just uh, what's your line for balancing act? <laughs> um, I mean, just to answer the first part of your question, I suppose I started off in tennis sort of trying to be very neutral. Um, you know, I'm not too out there with my opinions, and I guess as you kind of maybe. Can, can you say grow with confidence on Twitter? But, you know, certainly feel more comfortable in kind of my style and what I'm going for. Um, start to come out with a few more opinions. Um, I keep them to myself. I don't maybe troll as much as Brie here. Um, but sometimes, if, yeah, if it's a particularly frustrating player, it'll be really annoying. And, yeah, I just, like, I think my dislike of Philip Kulschreiber is quite well known um, so that will come out even during Davis Cup weekend where obviously I'm supporting Germany um, for Andy there was a few losses last year because quite frankly it felt like Andy was losing pretty much every week for a while um, there was a few losses that are very frustrating um, but oh, I, with Andy I can, it's almost like I can't talk about it because he's been off tour for so long so I'm just I'm hoping he comes back healthy and I'll clear my mind of any prejudice against other players and just relish being able to watch him again I think. <laughs> True we all look forward to his healthy return so 
Uh, is there a particular fan base or opponent that, you know, gets under your skin when, uh, especially when Murray's at the uh, losing end of that match? Ooh. Um, I mean, I was in the, the crowd last year when Andy played Fabio Fanini. Um, I don't know if either of you remember that match, but it was an amazing electric atmosphere, evening, night match. Um, it was after Maria pulled up injured. Um, I think it didn't start till kind of nine, half nine at night. And that was incredibly frustrating. Um, just because you know it's the kind of, although it's Fabio, it's the kind of match that Andy should be winning. Um, obviously, he was defending champion last year, the year before, rather. And, oh, that one got under my skin. Um, I had to actually leave early just to make sure I could get home okay. Um, and I was so worried then because Andy started to have comeback and he was going to make it. But, yeah, it's... Um, there's certain matches, but I'm not too bad. I can move on pretty quickly if my favorites lose, so it's not too bad. Well, that's that's good. Yeah, we need to learn something from you. Uh, again, I want you know my biases on this podcast because my goal is to somewhat stay objective. Uh, so yeah, the clay season is uh, underway, and this weekend we'll crown like a men's champion in uh, you know the Monte Carlo side of things. So, uh, Bree, what are your expectations? I know uh, you're. Your favorite, your man is back, and uh, there's a lot of talk now going on. Will he even lose a set or a match, for that matter? What are your expectations uh, on the men's side? What you've seen from Rafa, and is there anyone who is going to stand tall or give you some worrisome moments as a fan? Um, I think Rafa's going to stand tall for sure. He looks in great form, judging by his Davis Cup matches against Sasha Zverev and how he's played so far in Monte Carlo. Um, his challengers are all looking kind of shaky. I mean, Gotham's coming back. Tim looks strong, even though he's returning from his ankle injury. And um, Djokovic is coming back. Um, Grigor Dimitrov, he's kind of in shaky form right now, so we're not really looking at him too much. But I think Rafa's on track for his 11th Roland Garros, but, you know, it's a long way off to Paris and, you never know what could happen on the way there. So we just have to buckle in and see. Sorry, I just have a question for you, Bree, actually. Like, as a Rafa fan, like, in this part of the season, how do you feel? Do you go in feeling relaxed, or is it always still a stress because you kind of achieve all these incredible things? Um, I, I go in feeling stressed, uh, like Rafa. Uh, I have doubts about every match, every opponent. But... Uh, I go in feeling confident based on what he shows on the court. Like right now I feel great about how he's Mm -hmm. playing, but if he had showed up like how he played in the 2015 Barcelona or Madrid final against Andy Murray, I'd be a little bit more worried about what he could achieve. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm usually overconfident a little bit too as well. So. That must be a nice feeling. I don't think any of my favorite players are going to any part of the season ever hoping or knowing what's going to happen. So. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, privileged, I guess, or blessed because I'm a Rafa and Serena fan, so they're pretty dependable. But my <laughs> other fave is Sloane, and she can be really streaky. So <laughs> she tortures me enough for, to make up for the both of Rafa and Serena. <laughs> So talking about Serena, what are what are your expectations? I know it's still uh, we haven't seen much of her. Last we saw was uh, Miami. Uh, so what are your expectations uh, for the clay season? Uh, uh, give us a tab on you know how Serena Nation is feeling right now. 
<laughs> uh, Serena Nation, we're Serena's Army. We're kind of up in the air. We don't really know what Serena's going to play. We would like her to play more events so she can get match fit, kind of like how Novak is trying to play more to find more matches. But other than that, it's just kind of up in the air. We're just waiting for her to play again and see what our queen, how her level has risen. And we have quite the, sorry, we have quite the diverse audience here because I think Lucy is uh, strongly in the corner of uh, Maria Sharapova, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like Maria and Serena. Um, I really like Maria. But, I mean, Maria's kind of up in the air as well. Um, she had a very cryptic tweet this week about... I think the WTA were like, oh, we're welcoming Maria to Birmingham this year. And Maria said, hey, let's see if I even make it to Stuttgart. So I'm currently just seeing, like, is she even going to get on that plane to Stuttgart, to be honest? Um, yeah, I'm pretty much, I don't know what Maria's health status is at the moment. Um, she goes out in Miami. Um, I don't know how much training she's able to do. So, yeah, I think I'll just wait and see how the clay season comes off is. Uh, how would you rate her comeback so far, Lucy? How do you feel like her body is held up or has her scheduling been on point to help her get her game back? What do you think? I think last year, I know that she acknowledged it herself. Her scheduling was very ambitious when she first came back. And I think she decided to play Stuttgart, Madrid, Rome, and even at, like, another clay tournament. Um and then obviously didn't get the World Cup of Algarve, but she herself admitted that scheduling was probably not wise um, when you were coming back. Um, it's been tough. I undeniably, it's been really tough. Um, I was kind of quite hopeful after the US Open. I was thinking that, yeah, you know, things are going to go quite well. And it just hasn't quite worked out that way. And I think 2018, um, if things don't get going during this clay season, maybe that's that's the point that I start to worry a little bit. Um, you know, she's well, she's not getting any younger. I think she's just, her birthday was today, actually. Um, and it's it's very hard to say, but I I come back to me in a month or two months after Roland Garros, and then I could give a more definite opinion. I think. Yeah, let's uh, let's keep a tab on you know how you know these predictions or these uh, projections work out. Sharapo is again a key player, and I think a lot of eyes would be uh, on you know on her performance and uh, how her season unfolds. So, Lucy, let me take you back to the same question that I asked Bree a few minutes ago. Uh, who are, who are the uh, list of small suspects you think who can challenge Nadal on clay this season? I know it's not probably Murray; he's not playing, but one of your favorite Sasha has to be one of them. So, what's the shortlist for you? I wouldn't, if you're talking about against Rafa, I wouldn't even, Sasha's one of my favorite players, but I wouldn't, given his past performances against Rafa, I wouldn't have him up there as a favorite against him, not at all. I think, was it Monte Carlo last year? He lost 6-1, six, 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 um, Davis Cup obviously was straight sets. Um, I would not fancy Sasha to, at this point, maybe even take a set based on what I've seen in Monte Carlo. Um, he might make it to the final. That could well be a Nadal Sara final, but I would I would expect at this point uh Rafa to take it and say that definitely. Um but yeah, otherwise I don't see anyone perhaps Dominic, if Dominic could stay fit. Um we saw that last year in Rome he beat Rafa. Um maybe if Rafa obviously goes on to win Monte Carlo and maybe Barcelona and Madrid and Rome becomes maybe it's just tiny question of fatigue but 
other than that, I don't see anyone challenging him. Yeah, I think I agree. It's a very handful of players, but again, any day is a new day, and I think Nadal's you know pretty grounded like that, so he is uh, you know he's not taking anything for granted. But yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it doesn't look good for others the way he's played so far, and uh, I think Dominic is on that short list along with maybe maybe you know just on pure matchup. I don't know how Pui can match up with Nadal on clay, but he's played him tough on hard courts. He's another guy, but he has to get there. Uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, uh, Schwartzman was there. Sorry. No, I thought you were saying Sorry? something. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, someone I've actually just written down earlier today was, um, he's not playing with Deepak Chung. Um, you know, he's, if you've ever watched him play on a clay court, he's had some good results in clay. Um, I watched him the semis in Munich last year. And I'd be interested to see, I don't know what his head-to-head size against Nasa. Um I mean, I wouldn't predict him to beat him or anything, but I'd be interested to see how he'd maybe match up against Rafa. Yeah. It's it's one matchup I'd like to see this play season if possible, I think. Uh, So, yeah, another question on Rafa before we move on, uh, after some good points, uh, you know, uh, Lucy made. So, Bri, you think if uh, it's good to play, say, Dominic team plays out to be the arch rival for Nadal this season. So, you think it's good to see him this early in the season? Uh, Does it work... You know, both ways, if you beat, if Nadal beats him, you think this gives more uh, room to work with uh, for the team camp? Like, you know, they can work on some things because last year they played three times and, of course, French Open was a, you know, beat down. But uh, do you like this matchup this early in the season between probably the two of the better clay court players, the best clay court players? Um, this is something similar that Rafa used to go through with Djokovic back in, like, 2008 to 2011 when they would meet a lot during the clay season and I I don't see anything bad about them meeting this early um only if Rafa loses you know it could be a dent to his confidence but if he wins it's also a great boost to his confidence and he knows he's playing well so I don't see a problem with it um TM does tend to learn from previous meetings when they play um successively so that could be something to watch out for. But I think TM still has to prove he can beat Rafa on clay before we can really be too scared of him. Yeah, I think he did beat him last year, I think, in Rome. But uh, Rafa had to be, I think, exhausted and not taking anything away from Dominic's win. Uh, so, yeah, let's see, you know, uh, by the time this podcast is released, you know, how that match plays out as a second match in the morning session. Uh, and another contender, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about is Del Potro. He's playing a very selective schedule. Uh, so how do you guys see him being a force on clay? He's, he was reluctant when I spoke to him in Miami, and then uh, he pretty much said the same thing after losing in Miami, that he's going to play a limited schedule. And I think uh, we won't see much of him till I think, he's, what is he playing? Just uh, Madrid, Rome, and Roland Garros? Is that the schedule he announced? Um, from what I heard, Madrid, Rome, and Roland Garros. Okay. Is, is, is he someone who's on your radar for, who can challenge Nadal and Clay, Brie? Yes. I am very curious about what Del Protro is going to bl- bring on the clay. Um, back before his second backhand surgery, he was actually pretty decent on clay. And many people might forget he was one of the people that pushed Federer in his 2009 title run at Roland Garros. So I'm very curious to see what he can do now that he's hitting over his backhand more and seems to be putting a little bit more 
pace into that, but I still think it could be a tough task if his backhand isn't holding up. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in the same camp as Green here. Um, very curious. Um, last year, he I think he ended up playing more on the clay than he wanted to. Um, he went into Leon, I think, as a wild card to get some more matches. Lost, I think, first round to someone quite low rank. Um, and then lost to Andy third round. I want to say maybe in three or four sets. Um, was eventually bagel, but. I think Joe Potter in the year 2018 was much fitter. Um, it, it's very hard to compare him to the Delta of the last couple of seasons. I mean, I watched him when he played Munich actually as a wild card a couple of years ago. He was still very, he's only played, I think, three tournaments in his comeback. And the progress he's made since then is absolutely remarkable. So, although my sort of the biggest memory of Del and Clay is two years ago. I'm very curious to see what he does this year. Um, I think it's a fantastic decision not to play Monte Carlo, to take a break this month, go home, recharge. Um, from what I'm seeing, though, he's still working very, very hard. He's not taking too long of a break. It's good. But yeah, I, I'm very looking forward to Madrid and see what he produces there. Yeah, a lot of uh, tennis pundits, I know sometimes these conversations start from nowhere. He's on many people's list, at least if you listen to Tennis Channel. I think Imel Staub and Courier, some people have said that, that uh, if there's a new number one, he's the candidate most people think can come out if it's not Nadal or Federer uh, or even, you know, Novak or Andy when, when they are fully ready to compete. So do you see Lucy, him as a threat to, you know, challenging all year long uh, Del Potro? You think he's healthy enough? Mm. Good question. Um, do you know what Delco is? Oh, we have to remember, even the year he won his first round, he's never been higher than number four in the world. And although the ranking is obviously important, I don't think Delco is the most important thing. It's not, Delco will never be chasing all over the world looking for points or looking, I mean, obviously it'd be nice, but for him, I think the results are more important, what, what he's achieving at the Masters and the Grand Slam level. Um, you know, he's a very emotional person, so for him, I think it's more about what he's doing on court and is he enjoying his tennis, um, and the ranking is secondary. Um, so I'd like to see him, you know, contend for the rest of the year. I think the grass season could be very, very interesting if he's fit after the clay season. Certainly, he could be victims on grass, um, especially with that serve these days. But yeah, we'll just have to see um, for the man that seems to be made of glass. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again, you know, another st- intriguing story when Del Potro takes court in a few weeks in, in Madrid. So, Lucy, let's stick with, uh, you know, one more question on your favorite, Sasha Zverev. Uh, uh, How is his media presence in Germany? How are they projecting him? You know, he's pretty much one of the, you know, big poster boys of, you know, the next generation, which is already here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think he's brought back tennis to the front pages of these newspapers or, you know, these websites in tennis? I know. Uh, it's, a, it's still a football nation, uh, soccer, what we call in the U.S. Uh, how, how big is Zverev, actually, uh, in terms of popularity and, and, and following? Yeah, I mean, uh, Sasha, um, it's complicated. That's what I would say. It's very complicated. Um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and deny that he isn't rude or occasionally very standoffish in press. Um, it's pretty well documented. Um, it's a curious thing to me because as a fan, I've always found him to be one of the kinder and more patient players I've really encountered on the tour. Always his time for people, it's very polite and courteous. Um, 
So when I see these clips from press, I'm literally sat here wondering who, who this imposter in the chair is. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, that doesn't help your image generally, um, given that it's the same media who will be often writing about you. Um, I think tennis generally, even especially doing well with Angie and like Gurgas, um, tennis is still struggling in Germany. Um, as as you pointed out, football is the main focus of everyone. It's what dominates the front pages, all the sport pages. I mean, you can have sports magazines here that you would forget there's any other sport because all they report on is football. Um, I try and browse the newspapers and um, the day after a play, I might win a big title or a big result at the slam. And more often than not, I'm disappointed by the lack of coverage. Um, when Sasha won his first master's title last year in Rome, one paper covered it um, in the front page. Um, just to give an example of kind of where we're at with coverage. Um, occasionally, you are pleasantly surprised. Angie was given a really nice spread on the front page of the Society Cycling here after she lost in Australia, that incredible match against Simona. So occasionally you'll be surprised, but it's, I mean, yeah, you can't say it's what it was in the 90s here. Back in the 90s, the courts would have been absolutely packed. Um, you can barely get on during the summer. We're going through a bit of a heat wave at the minute, so to speak. And whereas last year I went to hit with a friend doing Roland Garros, like gorgeous weather, and there was only two of the nine courts being used, um, which has never been the case previously. So Sash is popular here, um, but tennis still has a long way to go, definitely. Yeah, I think uh, Germany missed a generation with uh, Becker, Graf, and Keith. And uh, Haas and Kiefer, when I was following tennis, had a hard time living up to those expectations. And now uh, Zverev, I think they have a legit, you know, contender. And Kerber has already, you know, proven that she can win majors. Uh, and we'll stick with uh, Zverev. One more uh, question. And I, actually, I'll ask you both this. Uh, Lucy, you can take this first. Uh, you think, uh, are you okay with sometime the anger he shows? Because we have been spoiled by this nice guy generation of Federer and Nadal you know, and uh, everybody measures players up to them. I don't think it's fair. I think Zverev should be his own man. But as a fan of the game, do you see, you know, somewhat, sometime how he's short uh, or he's showing too much emotion? you think it's a good thing or a bad thing or you think it's part of the package? Um, to be honest, it doesn't concern me as long as it doesn't become malicious. Um, after all, I'm an Andy Murray fan. If I didn't like some or enjoys himself loading on court, I wouldn't have been able to stick by Andy all these years. Um, there's one or two instances I felt it's gone beyond me acceptable. Um, an incident with an umpire a few years back in France, and I lost in Cincinnati, I want to say, to Peter, I think, where he didn't shake his opponent's hand. Um, I wouldn't be afraid to call those incidents out. Um, his anger, obviously, it boils over, but it's, it's part of who he is. He puts incredibly high expectations on himself, and he gets down on himself. He's not producing his best. He is incredibly frustrated. Um, a good example was today, actually, playing Stuff. He's given him a bit of bother in the past. Um, we need a player who was playing particularly well today, but Sasha lost the second set. It was a close second set. Sucked his racket down, and it's just because he, he's demanding so much for himself. He, you know, he knows his level should be better than what it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, occasionally I think it does go beyond what's acceptable, but I don't mind a bit of emotional outburst. It's fine. For me, it means Sasha cares. Yeah. 
So, Bree, same question. Uh, you think, uh, you know, are we fair when we compare, not we as in, you know, three of us, but a lot of people compare the behavior of, you know, sometime Zverev and Kyrgios at a very different level to, you know, Federer Nadal and, you know, the, the, the body of work they have built up? Um, no, it really doesn't bother me when the next gen are fiery or a little bit more petulant. Um, they're also younger. And back when Federer and Nadal were coming up, there wasn't really social media or as much eyes on them. So even though we know Rafa's like historically from Uncle Tony's training, like a really uh, nice guy on court would never do anything bad. But he has his moments where he can be, you know, whiny or annoying on court. And even Federer as well, as we know him as the great placid champion. Um, so it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I kind of like it when the players kind of get a little crazy on court because one, it does <laughs> make a match that I may not be watching more exciting. And two, it just brings another level to the drama and makes, you know, like Lucy said, it kind of makes you feel like the players care a little bit because um, speaking of an outburst that happened this week, um, Jared Donaldson, a lot of people did not like how he um, was aggressive towards the umpire, which I totally agree with. Um, at the same time, um, you know, I'm not really upset that he got pissed over a line call. Um, it happens. I mean, when I'm playing video games, I get really mad sometimes. So I can only imagine if this was my livelihood and someone and I was perceived to be cheated out of something. Yeah, I think it's fair enough. I was going to bring the Donaldson uh, incident. So yeah, a lot of uh, noise on you know social media and a lot of varying opinions. And it's good to have a dialogue about anything or everything. Yeah, even I think uh, because uh, in this day of social uh, media presence, I think we kind of we, we do nitpick. I think uh, and as an audience, and there's like there's too much. That, that's what uh, I've spoken to some players and they said, you know, what McIndoe and Connors were saying back in the day compared to what Kerio says is nothing. You know, they got away with a lot of stuff. Fine, you take that one Wawrinka incident, what Nick Kerio said. Uh, players in the previous era got away with so much more than, you know, and everybody from that era is now acting the moral policeman, you know, of, of the game. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine if there's a disagreement. I think it... it no, it, it shouldn't be like manufactured, but I think it, it was genuine what happened with Donaldson. He was feeling that he's probably a nicer guy or not. I, I haven't followed his career, but yeah, I think it's okay and uh, we shouldn't make a big deal out of it. Uh, uh, so, so Lucy on Donaldson, I, what's your take and do you draw a line uh, or, you know, go against the grain what Rihanna just said or I just said? What's your take on that issue? That's actually a very interesting one for me. I've been thinking a lot about it this week because at first I I was sat there thinking exactly it's to use the words of the umpire at the time. Why? Why are you doing this? And, and also not about being angry by the line call that's entirely justifiable. Um, it's more just about the reaction and kind of invading the umpire's space there. I you know for me it's not pleasant optics. Um, but then the more I was thinking about it. You know, I'm I'm not out here trying to earn master's points. I, I'm not out there competing for you know, not just master's points, everything else that comes with being a top professional tennis player and it's it's very easy for me to sit on my chair and judge that reaction. But the only thing I will say is I'm fine generally with players throwing rackets 
do what you want, but don't bring the officials into any kind of danger zone, I guess you could call it. I don't like to see officials um, berated so often personal, if you get what I mean. Um, I mean, I love just as much as anyone a good chair argument. I think it's something very entertainment, but there's just sometimes I think there's that line and that we have to make sure that players aren't crossing it consistently without being receiving at least some kind of fine or punishment. Um, but yeah, that's, that's just my take on things. Um, certainly, I wouldn't like to see players just become robots, that we don't let them, you know, contest anything. But at the same time, I think there needs to be a certain level of respect. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Uh, so before we switch to the WTA side of things on the discussion front, uh, let's talk about Novak Djokovic. I mean, this has been definitely a better week. Uh, we all, you know, in some way left him pronounced as, you know, somewhat, it's, it's going to take, you know, a while before he's going to find his tennis after he lost to Benoit Pair in uh, in Miami, uh, you know. But uh, this week he had some encouraging wins and even against uh, a good clay court player like Dominic Team, who himself was coming back from an injury layoff. Uh, Djokovic competed today. So those have to be some good takeaways. So, Bri, where does he go from here? I know he's deciding to play next week, which he hasn't done, I think, in the longest of times. He might pick either... Uh, Budapest or uh, or Barcelona. Uh, so if you're a Djokovic fan, I know you're not, but I mean, from a neutral perspective, how encouraging is this week? Uh, small steps at a time, or you think he's ready to be a force come Roland Garros time? If I was a Djokovic fan, I would feel elated right now by what he showed in Monte Carlo. Um, I was actually at the match in Miami where he played Benoit Pair and it was kind of almost like a night and day, just how much energy and focus Novak was putting into the match. Um, in Miami, he just looked a step slow. His movement was off. His groundies were off. Um, I mean, Pear was basically overpowering him, like in the short hour and, and a half that they were on the court. But here, he seems much more balanced. Um, he's kind of playing with the game plan again. He's showing snippets of him old self, but he's still lacking a bit on the stamina. Um, I felt like he was matching uh, TM in that third set at like three all until he just kind of mentally withered because he, I think he was up 40-15 in the game that he was eventually, eventually broken. So I would be, you know, ecstatic if I was a Djokovic fan. But I mean, we've seen him play well in Australia as well this year. And then after that, you know, he didn't really play that well. So I'm still kind of on the fence with Djokovic because Djokovic loves new beginnings. He's got Marion Vida back in his camp and he loves a new positive outlook. But I mean, is he really going to be enthused in Budapest or Barcelona? We'll have to see. Yeah, I think it's a good point about Vida. A lot of people, you know, were, you know, making this association that you know they would have a comeback together because, uh, Things didn't work out with Agassi, and uh, I think before Stepanek announcement was made, I think Vida's name was doing circles, and a lot of Djokovic fans and even a lot of tennis pundits were uh, citing this kind of an uh, you know realignment. And uh, I don't know. I mean, same here. Uh, I think uh, for him to get back to those levels is a different topic, but it looks like it's a very positive step in that direction. And I think uh, Djokovic it, it, it'll serve him well even though, of course, he wanted to win today, not playing Nadal this early because that could have been uh, that could have been a different uh, you know match like they played uh, last year. Nadal probably would have beaten him. Again, uh, you shouldn't be making these kind of projections, but 
I think it will serve Novak well. He got a few matches here, and if he can build some momentum and then maybe play Nadal you know, in, a, in a very meaningful match down the road in Paris or even, say, Rome, which is, you know, a month's time. Uh, so I think yeah, that's enough. Uh, I think we covered enough ground on uh, ATP. So, Lucy, uh, who are some of the key stories for WTA as, uh, you know, this clay season unwinds and leads to, you know, Paris? Who are some of the names that you think could do some damage uh, throughout this phase and, uh, and uh, you know, could be some some of the favorites as well? Yeah, I I think everyone should have, if you're in WTA, have an eye on Stuttgart next week. Um, the last I checked, 13 of the top 15 players in the world would be there because Venus isn't playing and then Caroline is in Istanbul off doing her own thing. Um, so I'd be very, very curious to see how it, it Stuttgart on you know unrolls, how everyone, how the draw goes actually. I think by the time this podcast goes out tomorrow, the draw should be done. So it'll be an absolutely stacked draw. Um, we also have obviously four of the top players, Bishkovic, the Burgers, and Karba, all playing Fed Cup this weekend in Stuttgart as well. Um, so I, I think to see, you know, if they're physically fatigued from that weekend and um, depending how far it goes. Um, Nick Sloan and Madison are down to play as well as Fed Cup. Um, Coco's taken a wild card into Stuttgart as well. Um, okay. So for me at the minute, it's, it's quite difficult. Um, I haven't seen that many of the players yet on play. Obviously, this year I didn't get to see much of Charleston, so I'm sure we can speak about that a little bit more. Um, Really interested to see what we get from Elena Svitolina. She's defending some titles this year at Symbol in Rome. Um, obviously, she won Dubai this year, quarterfinal in Miami. Um, and, yeah, she's kind of... I'd be very interested, especially for Paris, given that match against Mona Halep next year, if she can battle those demons and finally make it to its slam final, finally win a slam. Um, so she's my one to maybe watch. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious. I'm going to still go on Tuesday and Wednesday next week. So maybe ask me in a week and I can give you some, some bigger predictions for the clay court season. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Brie, I know there's a Fed Cup weekend. Uh, uh, what what are your, you know, what are the some of the matches you're looking forward to? And then uh, uh, on the WTA side, not even close, I know, because Nadal is legendary on clay, but is there a firm favorite in your mind? who is going to be the player to beat in some of these uh, major tournaments leading up to Paris? Well, when it comes to the WTA overall, I really have no idea uh, who's going to clean up during this clay season. I'm just excited to see the women play and see how it all turns out. Like uh, Lucy was talking about Stuttgart next week. I'm so excited to see if Mladenovic, you know, can start playing well on clay again. Um, if Sharon Pova comes back, I do want to see her play, see what she can do. Um, Halep, I want to see, see if she can start playing better. I know she was like coming back from injury during Indian Wells in Miami, so I don't really hold those matches against her. But um, I kind of want to see if she can get a first major on her, under her belt. And then, of course, there's Serena, who's going to come back as well. So uh, really, who knows who's going to win these WTA titles. But as far as Fed Cup goes, I'm really excited to see the French in the U.S. on clay. I think that'll be exciting because Madison Keys is playing, Coco Vandeweghe, and Sloan Stevens. And Bethany Maddox-Sands rounds out the team. But I'm just excited to see Sloan back on red clay because um, 
before her U.S. Open title, Roland Garros was actually her most consistent major. And she what? made the second week there um, for so many years in a row. She played Serena tough there. She's lost to a lot of French Open champions if you look through her, her Roland Garros uh, receipts. So I'm just excited to see all the U.S. ladies back on clay, to be honest. And uh, sticking with Sloan, uh, Matt Zemeck has sent in a question uh, uh, about Sloan Stevens, so regarding her career graph. Uh, her record in uh, North America versus other continents at this point of comparison. So where do you think that stands? And uh, what are the room of improvement you know, uh, in that regard? Well, def- Sloan can definitely improve her record in North America and Basically, she can improve her record all over the world, honestly. Um, if you look at her kind of like career matches, she hovers like a little bit above like 50% um, in her wins and loss totals. So I think that point is a little overblown because like I said before, before the U.S. Open, her best major was at Roland Garros. And she's played like, you know, some tough matches in the premieres as well over there. Um She's done decently on grass and at Wimbledon as well. So I think Sloan can improve all over the world. But um, I think that point's a little bit overblown just because of recency bias. You know, to be honest, like in the past year, we've only really seen Sloan play in America because she didn't come back until after um, she came back at Wimbledon, but didn't play successive tournaments till the U.S. Open season. I mean, Sloan's like legitimately a player that could do even like, do you remember the year that Angie won all the Premier tournaments on all the different surfaces? So she had the indoor clay, um, grass, hardcore, um, I think outdoor clay as well. So Sloan's like one of the few players I think I would even pick to do that this year or at least one year. Win surfaces, like I, any, any week Sloan could win a title is the way... I see it was Yeah, that's true. I mean, it really is just how Sloan's feeling because um, the previous years before her major, um, we would look for her. She made semifinals on clay, like you were saying, then on grass and hardcore. And it was just, can she take that next mental hurdle, that next step? And now that she's finally over it, I think, you know, I totally agree. She can win a title any week. It's just if Sloan's feeling it and if she's got the right draw. Yeah, I think uh, we covered a lot, and I know uh, this uh, this podcast. Uh, we can obviously, you know, have you guys again uh, and take stock of you know the next round, which is a rapid fire round. I'm gonna try to have you know some fun here, and you can give controversial or you know, you know whatever answers you have in mind, and then we can take stock of this uh, close to the clay season. So, you guys ready? And then you know who's who wants to be in the chopping block first. Uh, do you want to go first, Lucy? <laughs> oh. Well, I'll go first. Oh, I'll go first in the firing line here. Yeah, feel <laughs> free to take any digs. I mean, I don't know a lot of people on Twitter, but I mean, if uh, there's a fan base you want to offend, this is your time. <laughs> okay. All right, so Lucy, Lucy's first, and Bree, I think, is taking, you know, uh, she, she's warming up like Nadal, you know, she's she's getting ready too. All right, so I'm sprinting okay. in the tunnel right now. All right, so Lucy first. So how many sets... Will Nadal lose this season? None, one, two, or more? The clay season, do you mean? Yeah, clay season. Um, I'll go two. Uh, which major uh, on the ATP side will see a new winner this year? Roland Garros, Wimbledon, US Open, or no chance? Uh, US Open. 
the best or biggest forehands in the game? Del Potro, Federer, Nadal, or team? Um, Del Potro. Not even, not even close. No, rank them. Who's two, three, and four? <laughs> oh, two, three, and four. Um, for me, I would have to go. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Good question. Um, I'll put Federer number two, Rafa third, and Team fourth. But really, after Delpo, no one gets second or third. <laughs> and uh, best commentators in tennis in English language because uh, we don't uh, we are not privy to the German language. So rank your favorite commentators. Uh, Nick, Nick Lester, uh, Robbie Koenig, Mark Petchy, Darren Cahill, Lindsay Davenport. Um, it's very hard with the last two. Um, I love Darren and Lindsay, but I don't have access to American TV, so unfortunately I don't get to listen to them that much. Um, Lindsay does commentate on BBC a little bit, but um, not that much, just a tiny bit during Wimbledon. Um, do you like the Petch? I listen. I've grown up watching Sky Sports, so Mark Petch has always been the voice that's there. So I'll go with Mark Petch number one, um, Robbie Koenig number two, purely because his commentary of Venus reaching the final last year in Australia is so brilliant that it's just one of those clips that I go back to all the time. Um, and then I'll put Lindsay number three. I like Lindsay, Darren four, and Nick number five. I'm I'm sure you're ready. You're arranging their your list right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am readying my list. Okay. All right. So, a few more questions for Lucy. Uh, favorite podcast in tennis: uh, David Law, The Body Serve, John Wertheim, uh, Ben Rothenberg, and uh, Courtney Newen. Please do not let me rank them. Um, I have to see Courtney next week and in Rome, um, but. I'd have to say the body therapy thing is my number one just because it's the one I've been listening to. There's a lot of episodes and um, very quick to get them out at the minute. Um, you get that nice dose of popular culture as well. So I always feel like I'm getting really good TV program recommendations or just learning something new as well, which is always good. Um, I couldn't possibly rate the others. Um, I listen when I can and when they pop up on my phone. But yeah, I think body serve is my number one these days. Okay, a few more questions. And then uh, biggest pet peeve in the game, uh, if you can name one. Ooh, um, poor scheduling um, at mixed events. So when the women are constantly put on the outside court and not given the center stage or the billing that they should, um, it absolutely does my head in. And Wimbledon are a particular offender in this regard. And yeah, it's, just, it's, it's time for change. Okay. Uh, and uh, who will be the biggest disappointment? Name one man and woman in the clay season. Let's be controversial. Biggest disappointment? Um, I'd say Andy Murray. <laughs> no, I, I never expected Andy to come back. It's okay. Um, for the woman, uh, I mean, it's always just very difficult, but I would say Yona Ossipenko. Um, if she was to even make the final again in Paris, I think that would be an absolutely remarkable achievement. But at the same time, I don't think many people would see it as a shock if she didn't defend her title. So I don't know if she'd be a disappointment. Um, Mona Halep, perhaps. Um, see how she's doing physically, um, how she picks up and shook out next week. Um, 
for the men. Um, Sasha, I'd say Sasha doesn't win another big title this play season. I, I'd see that as a disappointment, yeah. Okay, and we'll cap it off with uh, that's the most tabloid I'll get. Uh, who's the best dressed man on ATP? Uh, Federer, Lopez, uh, Verdasco, or Nadal, or someone else? Oh, Lopez, yeah. Yeah, I'm like Judy, I'm like Judy Murray in that regard. I love I love Sally, so that have to be my pick there. <laughs> All right, so let's see what Brie has. Um, ready, Brie? All right, let's bring it. Uh, how many sets will Nadal lose as this play season? Uh, if he will lose even one, none, two, or more? Um, I'm going to go on the side of precaution, and I'll say he loses three. Again, uh, same questions here. Uh, which major will see a new winner on the men's side? Uh, Roland Garros, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, or none? Um, a part of me wants to say no. A big part of me wants to say none, but uh, I think I'm going to go out on a limb, a limb and say Wimbledon gets a new champion this year. Hmm. Maybe Milo Shaunich, who knows, yeah. I'm thinking Del Potro. So talking of Del Potro's, rank these forehands in terms of uh, most effective. It could be power, it could be spin, uh, just overall the package forehand. Del Potro, Nadal, Federer, and team. Uh, I'm going to be pretty close to <laughs> Lucy on this one and um, Del Potro, Federer, Rafa, but Federer and Rafa are kind of tied, and then Tian less. All right, and same. You get to rank your favorite commentators uh, in tennis, and uh, the list is still the same. I don't know uh, who you listen to more, if you can add someone to. Uh, is it Lester, Pecci, Koenig, Davenport, Cahill, or even Anacon? Mm, that is a good choice. Um, I'm biased to American commentators. So I watch a lot of tennis channel or tennis TV. And so I'm going to group mine into men and women. My favorite men are um, James Blake. Uh, what's uh, Robbie Koenig's partner? Yes, um, I like him as well. Uh, Cahill's great. I even love BG because even though he has his wacky nicknames, he still brings some facts. So I like that. Um, for the women, I like Jill Kravis a lot. The ATP just hired her, and she's been doing some great interviews for their podcast. I like Lindsay Davenport, Martina. I wish she was on TV more often, honestly. Um, and also Chandra Rubin. I really like her, and Tennis Channel is using her a lot more, so that's great as well. Yeah, she's been good. Uh, okay, so same question again. Uh, favorite podcast job on, on tennis topic? Uh, is it The Body Serve? Is it John Wertheim? Is it Ben and Courtney, or is it David Lowe and Catherine? <laughs> this is a tough one. Uh, I hate to rank these as well because I'm friends with a lot of these people. But um, right now, I would have to say my number one is the Body Serve for consistency and how they approach topics. Then number two is NCR, the old school, uh, Ben and Courtney. Um, who else? Who are the other options? Um, David Law. I like them. And John, and John Wertheim. I would say that's a good four. Yeah. Biggest pet peeve in the game for you? Uh, could be fans, could be establishment. What is that bothers you the most? Oh, my biggest pet peeve is that tennis cannot get scheduling right. You know, if, even if it's just like for the matches with the men and women at the majors or even just getting the overall calendar correct or fitting in Davis Cup. 
I just cannot stand how disjointed the ITF and ATP and WTA are. That's my biggest pet peeve for sure. And uh, who's the biggest disappointment on each side for this clay season? Name a candidate each, uh, WTA, ATP. Hmm. Biggest disappointment. This is tough. Um, I feel like on the ATP side, the biggest disappointment is always Grigor Dimitrov. Sorry, Grigor fans. <laughs> <laughs> but he... He always disappoints me. Um, and then on the WTA side, I will probably say Halep because we'll be rooting for her to win Roland Garros and it more than likely won't happen. Hey, and the last one, uh, same, and you can add someone else too. Who are the best dressed on the ATP? Uh, Federer, uh, Nadal, Verdasco, uh, Lopez, throw in a Frenchman as well, uh, rank them, uh, Shardy. Mm-hmm. Ooh, these are good choices. Um, gosh, this is tough. Um, mm, I want to. I'm gonna go with Joe Wilfried Songa. You know, I I like his hair choices. He doesn't look too fashionably offensive <laughs> when he's at player parties. So I'll go with Joe. All right, now we have a tiebreak question, and this is where you can be most controversial. Lucy, you can go first. Uh. Most annoying fan base on tennis Twitter and why? The Fed fans, uh, Djokovic fans, Nadal fans, Serena fans, or Sharapova fans? <laughs> um, oh gosh, I'm going to get shunted out of a group somewhere for whatever answer it is. Um, I try and avoid like rabid fan bases. It doesn't matter if it's a player I like. Like I try and avoid them occasionally. Um, I have to say Linux fans, but just because I haven't really even engaged with them that much, but just sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter what I post, sometimes they'll just find a tweet that I thought was completely innocuous and kind of attack it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, where, where, where did this come from? And so yeah, that would, that would have to be my answer. Okay, so Bree, same list for you. Uh, and instead of, uh, uh, Nadal fans, I'll put Sasha fans because you you know you won't name Nadal fans. So who are your most annoying uh, fan base? Fed fans, uh, Djokovic fans, Sharapova fans. <laughs> um, as a Serena fan, I should be obligated to say uh, Sharapova fans, but I'll refrain. <laughs> um, actually, I agree. Uh, the infamous Nole fam are the worst fan base because one, I'm blocked by a lot of them, and two, because of their infamous spreadsheets. It's just, it's too much. It's too much, you know. I mean, no, that's that's, that's what you know. Uh, that's how you feel. That's okay. I'm sure there are a lot of you know Nole fans who are very reasonable, just like any other fan base. So yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's get you know a Twitter poll once this podcast is released, and we'll see who did better on the. You know, who was less diplomatic. So thanks, guys, for doing this. It was fun. And uh, I hope to have you guys as guests uh, in a future episode very soon. Uh, yes, I hope to come back soon. Thanks, Saka. Thanks so much. Um, uh, yeah, I had a great time. And um, thanks. Can't wait to see what happens the rest of the season in Monte Carlo.